There is no secret formula for better customer service. But there is the all-new service hub from HubSpot, bringing service and support together in one powerful platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with an AI-powered help desk. Also, you can easily support and grow your customer base. Secrets out, everybody. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. What's up, everyone? It's Wednesday, August 10th. I'm Zachary Crockett. I'm here with Rob Litterst, and this is the Hustle Daily Show. Today, you've seen them pop up on your feed promoting stuff. You've seen them networking in the comments section. You've read their shit poetry. And today, we are talking about LinkedIn influencers, or I guess LinkedIn influencers, if you will. But we're talking about a specific breed of influencers on the platform, people in the B2B or business-to-business space. Rob's going to break that all down for us. But first, the news. President Biden signed the $280 billion Chips and Science Act into law this week, which includes $52 billion for U.S. semiconductor production. It's a very well-needed boost. Walmart has reportedly been in talks with Paramount, Disney, and Comcast about adding streaming content to its $12.95 Walmart Plus membership. It already includes six months of Spotify premium. TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, acquired a company called Amcare for $1.5 billion dollars. Amcare is a Chinese operator of hospitals for women and children, which might seem like a weird fit for a tech company, but ByteDance has been taking a page out of Amazon's playbook recently, and they've been scooping up healthcare companies left and right since at least 2020. And lastly, Ford bumped the price of its electric F-150 Lightning pickup by about $6,000 to $8,500, depending on the model, and they're citing an increase in material costs for that move. That follows in the footsteps of Tesla, which boosted its prices on electric vehicles by thousands of dollars back in June. Rob, let's talk LinkedIn here. We've all seen these guys. What comes to your mind when you think about the typical LinkedIn influencer? Oh, Zach, I think first and foremost, there's kind of like a bro-y vibe that goes with it. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's my bias because... I was in sales for a long time. And so a lot of my connections on LinkedIn are salespeople or sales leaders. And I think especially in tech sales, you end up finding a lot of sales bros that are posting just really, really weird stuff (laughs) about being at work and about their company and about hiring. You and I were talking earlier about broetry. And for the uninformed, broetry is basically cringy kind of self-help post style where the writers write their stories in kind of like a string of one line <laughs> sentences that like kind of look like a deranged poem. They're, they're very, very yeah. bizarre and they read super, super yeah. weird. It'll be like, I wanted to present my best self at the interview. And then it'll like go from there and it'll just be this weird, wacky, like completely absurdist story about going on a job interview. Yeah. And it always concludes with like some really basic takeaway. <laughs> right. Like, and that's how I learned that luck plays a role in business or something. It's just like, what? (laughs) Exactly. It's so hokey and silly. And it's just so weird that it's kind of found its way into this networking platform. You know, I guess it was the natural evolution of LinkedIn to just become a new hub for a different breed of influencer. Sometimes I feel like I'm crazy reading these posts because it's like, you read it and it's like, today I learned something amazing, period. For years, I thought, blah, blah, blah period. And, and then it just goes on and it concludes like this very basic thing. And then everybody in the comments section is like, 
you are a genius, dude. You're an oracle of our times. There's so much positive, like the bros just all come in and support each other around these very basic takeaways. It is so wild. It's like the ultimate lowest common denominator content, I think. I honestly don't understand how it works, but it is like the most simple posts. I guess my question for you, Zach, are you on LinkedIn a lot? As a salesperson, I think it makes sense that I was on it a lot. I was doing a lot of prospecting, you know, getting out there, smiling and dialing. (laughs) But as a journalist, I wouldn't imagine you use it too much. Yeah, you know, like LinkedIn is basically like a necessary evil for me. I actually don't really have a problem with LinkedIn. It's like a clean interface. It's nice to have your creds up, you know, if anyone wants to go look at you. But yeah, I honestly can't say I use it that much. It's kind of just something that's a reference or a footnote. If anyone wants to go check out my background or something, I don't really have to explain everything. Everything's in one place. Totally. I don't post my stories on there or participate in the commentary or anything like that. I don't use it as really a social platform. It's kind of just a digital resume. Exactly. See, that's how I've grown to start using it. But back in the day when I was more in kind of like the sales world, I was on LinkedIn a lot more, seeing posts a lot more and just seeing what did well and not well was super, super interesting. And I guess we kind of buried the lead a bit. The Hmm. big news is that LinkedIn is basically becoming a hub for B2B influencers. (laughs) And that might sound absolutely ridiculous. Like who wants to hear a B2B influencer talk about something, but it's really popping off. And there are serious reasons why. I mean, According to this Bloomberg article, the average B2B influencer contract is 10% to 20% higher than consumer influencer deals, which makes sense because you're kind of targeting businesses with much higher costs of products, I would imagine, and much higher ACV. So it makes sense if you're getting paid by, you know, Microsoft to do this influencer content, you're probably going to get paid more than the influencer on Instagram promoting some healthy tea or something like that, you know? Mm. And for any noobs listening, can you just kind of give us a layman's definition of what B2B is? Yeah, exactly. So B2B stands for business to business. So the big differential here between B2B influencers and consumer influencers, which is the kind of influencer that most people are familiar with, you can see them everywhere on TikTok, Instagram, all over the internet. These B2B influencers are essentially using their following that they have on LinkedIn to try to guide executives at certain companies to buy specific products. And that product would be, you know, for the company that they're working for. Mm. So say a company like Microsoft wants a company to buy Microsoft Teams, Mm -hmm. they would work with an influencer essentially to espouse the virtues of Microsoft Teams, how it'll make you more efficient. And because this influencer might have like a million followers on LinkedIn or something like that, that might Mm -hmm. have some impact by getting their followers to act and, and ultimately choose Teams over Slack. Ah, and then they get a cut of the action for making the deals happen. Exactly. And the interesting thing here, I don't really know how it works with traditional influencers, but from what I was reading here, it seems like a lot of B2B influencers don't even have to create their own content. The content kind of comes from the company and they essentially say what the company tells them to say. Hmm. It's really just like if you are a B2B influencer and you've amassed a following on a platform like LinkedIn, you have a lot of power to command a lot of money to essentially talk about specific products to your following, which is kind of why this is taking off. Do advertising agencies, how are they feeling about the, just the B2B influencer space right now? Do they feel pretty bullish? Do they think it can make up a pretty large part of their business? 
That's a great question. So Ogilvy, which is a global advertising behemoth and PR behemoth, launched a B2B influencer team, I think under its PR wing, Mm. that it believes could eventually make up 20% of its total influencer group, which is hundreds of people. So it's a a massive group. It's obviously not at 20% yet, but they started this team with hopes that it can really grow. And I think that's really important too. There are less opportunities in B2B influencing than consumer, obviously, because there are a lot less influencers in B2B and the influencers have a lot less followers than consumer influencers. Like big Instagram influencers and TikTok influencers have been around for a long time. They have really big followings. Mm -hmm. The products that they're pushing aren't as expensive as some of the things that B2B influencers are pushing, but they have these huge followings and it's just a much more evolved market. Ogilvy's obviously making a big bet but I know a lot of companies are kind of holding off to see how real this is and see like if this trend actually has legs, which I think is pretty smart. I mean, Ogilvy is huge, so I think they can afford to take this bet, whether it goes sure. sideways or not. But ultimately, it's going to be interesting to see if people actually pay attention and like buy things because some random dude on LinkedIn like recommended. <laughs> right. And speaking of that random dude, these are not your typical influencers. Night and day different than like an Instagram influencer. These are like guys in, you know, their late 40s, early 50s. They wear suits. They're almost like traditional consultants or something. Totally. They do not look anything like <laughs> Instagram influencers that would come to mind. <laughs> They're a completely different breed. Honestly, it's a guy that you would think is just kind of spending the entire day in his office, just reading about business and educating himself on different products and then talking to his followers about that. Yeah. So, you know, this seems like a, a natural progression for the influencer industry, but why LinkedIn? Like, why is this the space where this makes sense? That is a great question. I think, honestly, part of it is there's saturation in the influencer economy elsewhere on other platforms, and people are just looking for kind of the next place for it. But the other part of this is LinkedIn has actually made pretty significant steps in its creator economy aspirations. So back in March of 2021, LinkedIn launched creator mode, which is basically just like a setting that you can set for your profile that lets people know that you identify as a subject matter expert and content creator. And they have 11 million on the platform that have opted into creator mode, which is way more than I would have thought. That's actually a lot of people. They also have 144,000 members with creator in their job title, which was up 16% year over year when they tracked that in 2021. And kind of hidden in all the talk about Substack and Facebook or Meta's uh, newsletter platform, Bulletin. LinkedIn, like low-key, has a big newsletter operation. They have 18,000 writers publishing newsletters on LinkedIn. And I mean, they have people like Ariana Huffington, who's definitely a B2B influencer, and Richard Branson, who's also definitely a B2B influencer. So pretty impressive stats, all things considered for LinkedIn. I had no idea they had made that big of strides on the creator front. Even influencers from other traditionally influency platforms like YouTube, Instagram are starting to trickle into the LinkedIn ecosystem, it seems. Yeah, I think there's a lot more green space on LinkedIn that you can kind of grow into and take over. I think like we were talking about earlier, like some of those other platforms are pretty saturated and the influencer game is pretty crowded. But yeah, Yeah. LinkedIn, I think there's a lot of opportunity for 
up and coming influencers to really get a fresh start there. And it's really funny. So there's this guy who used to work in marketing at HubSpot. He's kind of a marketing leader in Boston. His name is Dave Gearhart. Mm -hmm. I believe he's the chief brand officer at Drift now, which is also a software company in Boston. And he really kind of cut his teeth as a marketing influencer and leader on LinkedIn. He would share all these like really personal selfie videos as he was walking into the office talking about marketing. And he built up this massive audience there. And he has since launched this kind of side gig for himself called Dave Gerhardt Marketing Group. And it's essentially a newsletter with a paid community subscription, kind of like Trends. And he has a ton of subscribers. So like this dude has done a really, really great job of monetizing his expertise. And it all started on LinkedIn. And he's been very kind of frank and funny about that. He talks about it all the time. Like people bash LinkedIn. People talk about how silly LinkedIn is. It is a great place to build an audience. And I mean, he realized that I think probably like five to 10 years ago and has really capitalized on it. Hmm. Who would have thought? (laughs) Yeah. Because I don't really use the social aspects of LinkedIn, I'm not really aware that there's influence to be made on LinkedIn, I guess. LinkedIn influencers, for whatever reason, have kind of become a joke or a meme in some way. On Twitter, you'll see people making fun of people who are trying to be influencers on LinkedIn. Like you said, it's just a very specific type of, you know, the broetry and the banal posts and stuff. And it's like, it's so unsexy and unglamorous. It's the polar opposite of a fashion or a fitness influencer on Instagram where it's a little easier to get attention with photos or whatever. This is just like really dry stuff, you know? So in a way, I kind of have a little more respect for them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to be totally clear, they kind of deserve to get made fun of, I think, sometimes because it (laughs) is very, very silly. I mean, I think all influencers kind of to a certain degree deserve to get made fun of. But B2B influencers, for sure. It's just very, very silly. But I mean, it's a big business. If you've built up this big following based on whatever it is that you do, in your work life, it's a huge opportunity to capitalize on that. It really kind of had me thinking about like what drives people to purchase different software platforms, right? And in the B2B world, you obviously have like content marketing, like HubSpot really kind of helped pioneer some of that with inbound marketing back in the day and creating content that potential buyers might be interested and search for and then find it on HubSpot and would ultimately get into HubSpot's funnel. Then you have product comparison websites, like you have Gartner, which does the magic quadrant. You can compare the best platforms in various disciplines of software. And so that's something that might influence your purchasing decision. There's G2 Crowd, which is another website that's kind of like that, but Mm. for kind of smaller companies. And I think the influencer thing is really just kind of the natural evolution of where it's going. I think it's also worth taking a step back and mentioning, like there are people who get to their desk and log into LinkedIn and it's the first thing that they do in the morning when they start their day. Wow. Like, I don't think either you or I do that, which is why some of this stuff sounds so foreign to us and, and kind of silly. But there are people that literally log in to LinkedIn to start their day and see what these influencers that they follow are posting. And I think that's where it gets really interesting is like, if those influencers can actually convince some of these decision makers to purchase the product they're pitching, then there's a lot of money to be had there because some of these software contracts are really big. Well, my favorite LinkedIn influencer of all time will forever be Jimmy from LinkedIn. 
<laughs> you ever seen that guy? The OG. Yes, the OG. but not for a long time. I love that. <laughs> He's got to have a revival of some kind and start selling like B2B software or something. He'll make a killing. I think he needs to make a big time resurgence as a linked influencer. I think it's his calling, honestly. Yeah, you know, I'm sensing this kind of like cultural embracement of nerdiness that maybe didn't exist before. Like the other day I came across someone posted that they were airing like a national Excel championship on ESPN two. Yes. And it was just a bunch of like nerds sitting around competing on Excel, <laughs> but it was riveting. A hundred percent. I got roped in and I watched like 15 minutes and I, I couldn't take my eyes away. And you know, the rise of esports, you could argue right. is kind of, that's something that was always seen as kind of nerdy and playing video games, but now it's a huge industry. And the kind of clashing of the influencer industry with B2B software sales kind of makes sense to me in that context. It's funny. I don't know if you know the name Packy McCormick. He's a guy who writes a newsletter called Not Boring. Mm -hmm. He's recently waded pretty far into crypto and Web3. But back in the day, he wrote kind of more generally about business a lot. And one of my favorite posts from him is called Business is the New Sports. And he was talking about just how wow. kind of online discourse and dialogue about companies and industries and strategy had become like this kind of ground for debate and this ground for interest wow. and this ground for fanhood. And so to your point, I think this kind of push into nerdier pursuits, like you think about like Miss Excel, who's this TikTok star mm -hmm. who teaches people how to use Excel. And she's like a genuine influencer and makes millions of dollars doing this. Wow. And it's no just way. interesting. Like I think the culture has totally shifted and there's like a very lucrative market for business influence online. Mm. More power to the people that are taking advantage of it. It's it's pretty wild. Even if it is kind of silly. Yeah. Here's to the nerds. Wow. Here's to the nerds. Opportunities <laughs> abound. Just stay away from the bro tree. Come on. Yes. No more bro tree. <laughs> yeah. We can agree on that. Come on, man. Our forefathers didn't fight for this. Yeah. There's an amazing bro tree post that I read earlier today. It might be the most famous broem. Can we call it a broem? Sure. This guy <laughs> makes this post on LinkedIn about how he was going to a job interview and ran into a stray puppy and he helped the stray puppy <laughs> and missed his job interview. And the next day he gets called back by the company and they want him to appear for the job interview that day. And he walks into the room and the stray puppy is there dressed up in a business suit. Oh my God. <laughs> it's just like, I, I don't even know what you learned from that. But like, that's what we're talking about here. It's completely insane. <laughs> All right. I'm tapping out yeah, on that one. It's a good last word, I think. Thanks for joining us today, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor is Robert Hartwig. Our executive producer is Darren Clark. A lot more tech and business coverage in our newsletter. You can find it at thehustle.co. Stay safe, and we'll catch you all tomorrow.